That's Romans 6 from verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. Evening, good evening, good evening, uh, and uh, let me have my welcome, uh, although it's late on for doing that. Um, but great, if we're not met, my name's Matt. Uh, lovely to meet you afterwards. But uh, as we begin... Uh, let's pray as we look at this bit of Romans together. Our great God and Father, here is such very practical truth of how we live differently. Uh, here is uh, mind-stretching doctrine um, that uh, you tell us to wrestle with uh, in order to uh, live different lives. So help us, we pray. Would your spirit be at work amongst us, both informing our minds and, crucially, transforming our hearts so that we are delighted to be obedient to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how do we change? Uh, that's very much a big part of why we're looking at uh, Romans 5 to 8. If you hear when we uh, began looking at this little block, I just thought I wanted to change. And um, therefore, to uh, give myself over to thinking hard again about this section of God's world would be a good thing to do. Uh, so that's why we're doing it. How do we change? Now, that is a significant element of what chapters 5 to 8 of Romans will look at, but it isn't actually Paul's question. The way we come in on this, uh, particularly at chapter 6, is at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, if I become a Christian, can I do what I want? Paul has stressed so far in this letter that salvation is a gift. Salvation is something you receive. You don't achieve it. You don't climb up and grasp hold of, achieve salvation in God. You receive it as a gift. Well, say his imaginary uh, objectors, people he's met, no doubt, at some point. Does that mean I can do what I want now? It's chapter 6, verse 1, or indeed the same sort of question gets asked at our beginning of our reading tonight. Chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? No. So the question here is slightly different because someone is suggesting to Paul, but hold on a minute, so you become a Christian under grace, but what's to stop people being immoral? You need some laws, don't you? That's what will keep people on the straight and narrow. That's what will stop them being debauched, drunkards, whatever they may be. You need some laws. 
mean, you kind of get that objection. Uh, think of it this way. Um, uh, if you're a student, your tutor comes in one day and says, listen, what year are you? First year, second year? Oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, here's a first. At the end of your three years, four years, here's, a first. here's the certificate. Your name, it's first class. You got that. It's yours. Put it in the drawer, put it in the bank, whatever you do, you're done. And you can't lose it. Well then, whether you're from Imperial or wherever it may be, how hard do you give yourself to your studies at that point? It might kind of have an impact upon your diligence. Or you go to work tomorrow and your, your boss comes in and says, listen, I've decided I'm just going to uh, multiply your wages by the factor of 10. And uh, we're backdated to January, and that's it going forward. Uh, 10. And every time you get a salary increase, by 10. Just, how about that? What do I have to do? Nothing. What happens if I perform badly? Doesn't matter. It's all yours. The money is yours. This does not apply to staff at CCM. The, um, uh, but again, that might have an impact. So it's guaranteed, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. And so the alarm goes in the morning. And you might just think, well, I could get up and go to work. Or I could just hit it and roll over. Because it doesn't matter. Hmm. The rollover option becomes quite attractive. Uh, all of a sudden, I think I might have some lunches out. I need some work lunches. And they need to pay uh, on expenses. And, um, well, if I'm going to go for lunch, might as well go for somewhere good. Better go for a Michelin-starred restaurant on the work expenses account. Because it's, well, there'd be a part of you that might be tempted to live in that sort of way. That's the objection here. If it's all done... And you can't lose it by a great... Why? So the objector says in chapter 6, 15, 15, you've got to have some laws, haven't you? How do you expect people to live moral lives under grace? And so Paul says, chapter 6, 15, no. No, you've completely misunderstood. Don't say, saved by grace, and now you live by law. Don't say that. Rather, the Christian way of thinking is you are uh, declared righteous by being united to Christ. Actually, you're declared holy by being united to him. Now, live that out. Live that out. Because all these blessings come from being united to him. So these two, just these two categories, under law and under grace, you see them, they're introduced uh, in chapter four, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 14, they come again in verse 15. We're not under law, but under grace. They're two just completely different ways of thinking. To be under law is, uh, me-centered. I will achieve salvation. I will gain righteousness, a right standing before God. I will in my own strength, become more mature, more holy. I. It's all about what I achieve, is to be under law. To be under grace is to receive. I will receive righteousness as a gift. Actually, I'll receive holiness from the Lord Jesus Christ and live it out. Actually, eventually I'll receive glorification from the Lord Jesus and live it out. Because the whole Christian life comes from being united to him. So it's a bit like this. Uh, I need Jesus. Ben, that's you tonight. Um, 
There are rats. Um, so uh, not many people use these anymore. Uh, while I'm setting this up, uh, Dan, why don't you flick that on? Because it's not over warm, is it? The um, uh, car jump leads, you know how these work? Well, maybe you don't. But uh, once upon a time, you used to use these quite a lot. Now cars are a bit better. You don't lose them, use them quite as much. But what would happen is if you're, you try to turn your, turn your car on, you just got because the battery's dead. You'd get someone's car who was rimming, and you'd shove two of them onto their battery, and you'd connect two of them onto your battery, and you'd nick their power. Uh, and then off you go, and you could start your engine. So here's, here's Ben, and he's Jesus tonight, just tonight. Uh, and so he's, he's uh, I just I wouldn't clip them on because they have actually been used repeatedly uh, in times gone by. Uh, but you need to clip them onto your belt, really. Um, actually, I, I say that, and I'll do it to mine. The Christian is then... I think it was that hard. The, uh, the Christian is then, biblically, united to Christ by the Spirit. I mean, obviously, all pictures are flawed. The Spirit is God himself. He's not an inanimate bunch of leaves that, that don't get carried away. But the Christian is connected, united to Christ by his Spirit. And then, because of that, Christ gives me his righteousness. That's a legal standing outside of me. It's a verdict upon me. But also he gives me his holiness. That is a work inside of me, internally. And he says, now I've given you that, live that way. Work it out. And on the final day I will die, be raised up in glory, and he will grant me, because I'm united to him, glorification. Get a new body. But you see, all the benefits of the Christian life come because I'm united to him. Brilliant. You are very good as Jesus. Isn't he good? Um, and that's what Paul wants us to be clear of. You are saved by grace and you are changed by grace. It's not a, Yeah, just so. But you've got to work at it as well. So the, the, always, one month says the most helpful little summary verse that Paul gives in his letters, Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Where Paul says, beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for because God is at work within you. Do you see the two, the balance there? God is at work in you, in you, therefore work it out. Christ has given you holiness, therefore be holy. We saw it last time, it's no great difference. Uh, um, uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is true of you if you're a Christian. You've got to know that that's who you are. Verse 12, therefore, don't obey sin. Christ has given you this, therefore you work it out. Okay? God is at work within you, therefore work out your salvation. Or in many ways, you, you need to primarily, you trust in what Christ has done and who you are as a Christian, and then you try. It's always that way around. God is at work, therefore you work. God has changed you, therefore don't obey sin. Trust what he's done to you, for you, within you, therefore. Um, try in your own, try. All right, we get the purpose of the text in verse 19. That's where we're going. In one sense, it's the big idea. It's what Paul wants us to take away tonight. Offer yourselves as willing slaves of God. That's what he wants. Offer yourselves as willing slaves of God. And then, uh, but we'll build up to it eventually. 
But that's the idea. Offer yourselves as willing slaves of God. Someone would have heard this. The story is told of a, a, a bunch of slaves. Uh, 1800s, a uh, slave ship comes across from um, uh, Africa to uh, the Americas, and uh, these uh, six slaves, uh, they're a little gang, they're sold, and they work for a wicked, nasty, brutal master who beats them and uh, starves them, treats them very unfairly, uh, but eventually wants to sell them to gain some money, and so these six slaves are for sale. Now, one of them is uh, just enormous. He is, uh, you know, six foot six, built like an English flanker, uh, an enormous, a magnificent specimen of a man, this sort of thing, and... Um, yeah, come on. The, uh, um, and uh, he's the first one to be sold, and the bidding goes through the roof, because he's you know, phenomenal. You, know, you can see this bloke will get through some work. The bidding goes through the roof, a massive amount for a slave. The, um, he's sold, eventually, to a silver-haired old ma- older guy, who immediately comes across to him, collects his bill of sale, pays his money, gives the bill of sale to the slave, unlocks his chains, and says, you're free. I have bought you. You are free. Here is the docket, the docket. Here is the certificate that shows you're free. Now, if you desire, you can work for me and I'll pay you a wage. If you want, you can walk away today and there's no obligation upon you. But you could, if you desire, work for me and I'll employ you. But anytime you get fed up with the work and want to do something else, you can leave up to you. The bloke pauses, thinks, and then says, Well, look, you seem like a very kind man. You've bought me my freedom. I will willingly work for you. And that is what Paul wants to encourage within us tonight. Offer yourselves as willing slaves of God. It's not a perfect illustration, all sorts of flaws, but there it is. Three things we're going to say. The alternative is slavery to sin. Verse 16, the power to change your heart is grace, 17 to 19. The outcome is eternal life, 20 to 23. Okay? So offer yourselves as willing slaves of God. First, the alternative is slavery to sin, verse 16. Let's pick it up there. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey? Well, that's an obvious point. It doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do that matters. You might say, I support England, but if on Friday nights you... Uh, went to the Millennium Stadium and you dressed yourself entirely in red with one of those funny daffodil head hats that uh, the Welsh wear. And you were in the Welsh end and uh, when the, for the brief moment of Wales looking like they might win, you're cheering up and down every time Wales score. If you do those sort of things and you sing Land of My Fathers uh, in Welsh, get you, um, if you do all those sort of things, you might say, I support England. But actually all your actions reveal you're on the losing team. On Friday, you can't, you can't argue. It's fact, you can't argue with that. It's just happened, it's history. That's what Paul is saying. You can say I'm a Christian, but actually if your life hasn't changed and you're repeatedly walking down a pathway of sin, really? I'm not sure that's true. But the choice here is Binary. Uh, from the uh, the dash in the uh, Bibles. Uh, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Do you see there's a binary choice there? You are either a slave to sin, or you're a slave to obedience to God. There's no other third option. Of course, we don't like that. Maybe we sit here and think, 
Listen, Paul, I'm neither. I'm neither a slave to sin nor a slave to God. I am free to be what I want to be. And other such songs, uh, if you remember. The, um, I'm free. But notice here that the slavery is talking about, and the slavery to sin is not coercion. Rather, it is, we do it because we love it. So, uh, um, Sophie Garble, I don't know if you know her. Um, Grab it. She's the uh, the actress who plays Sarah Lund in The Killing. Do you like The Killing? Uh, Scandi noir, a bit of uh, Scandi drama. Um, but anyway, she was a very well-known actress in Denmark, but you know, with respect, that doesn't make you a global star. Uh, but then The Killing went massive, and she was the lead in it, and after three seasons of The Killing, she's an international star, worth uh, millions of pounds, uh, phenomenally successful. She had uh, a year or so off work because she had cancer. Uh, at the end of that year, she resolved to go get back into work. Uh, she moved to London, uh, learned English, never learned English before. Uh, so taught herself English, uh, did a year on the stage, and at the same time was filming the Sky drama um, Fortitude that's now going out, the most expensive program Sky have ever made themselves. Slightly weirdy whodunit with the polar bears. Uh, goes out on a Thursday night, if you've watched it. So for a year, after, after recovering from cancer for a year, she did these two very demanding jobs simultaneously, slightly worked herself into the ground of decision after a year for, off with cancer. But I read an interview with her, it's very honest. Uh, she commented this. I've always felt puzzled why people who've had cancer always seem to do crazy things afterwards. Climb mountains, run marathons, do an Iron Man. Then it hit me. Overworking the last year has been my marathon. There's a shame connected to getting ill. There's an animal-like feeling that you're weak, that you're not suitable for life, that you're slowing down the flock. And maybe deep down, I've been trying to prove to the flock, I'm still valuable. I'm still useful. That's, I mean, you've got to admire that sort of honesty, haven't you? But you see what she's saying? I mean, extremely wealthy, extremely successful, and she's driven to overwork. Why? Is there an external compulsion upon her? No. But she's a slavery to her own internal desire to prove herself. I'm still worth it, you know. I'm still useful. I've still got something. She's a slave. And Paul would say, yeah, that's right. You're not free. You're addicted. You cannot avoid slavery. You either have God as your master or you're enslaved to your own desires, which is slavery to sin, he says. That is sin. So offer yourselves as willing slaves of God because the alternative is... Well, you've been enslaved by sin. That's the first. Okay, what about the, how, do, how can we do this then? Secondly, offer yourselves as willing slaves of God. Look, the power to change your heart is grace. Verses 17 to 19. So verse 17. Thanks be to God, writing to Christians, of course, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin, and have become slaves to righteousness. And now again, here's some, a description of what has been done to us, if you're a Christian. Every Christian has changed. They were a slave to sin. They're now slaves to righteousness. So every Christian has two volumes to their life. So here's my life uh, in, uh, in two volumes. 
Um, and uh, don't be unkind and say we'd only need a little pamphlet for each. My life is quite interesting, more interesting than you might realize. Um, but so, so here's volume one of my life from, uh, from birth to the age of 20 when I became a Christian. Here's volume two. Uh, from the age of 20 until, well, today and hopefully a few more years yet. Uh, so I've not put the end date on it because, you know, who can tell? Um, but it's very different. Volume one, I was a slave to sin. Volume two, I'm a slave to righteousness. And there's a massive difference between these two volumes in how I lived, the desires I had, and who I am now. Massive difference. I was talking to someone the other day uh, here at church. Um, uh, I changed the name to spare embarrassment because it's called a Carol. Uh, so Carol uh, grew up not a Christian, went to university, had a good time. Uh, in her mid-twenties, moved to London and uh, became a Christian. And has uh, been at church for a while now and has sort of grown in her faith. Uh, she said a little while ago, and there's a big sort of university reunion, everyone got together, and so, hey, we're going out on the lash, and, um, yeah, right, and all getting together, and so Carol's there, and so it gets a few, you know, a few, couple of hours into the evening, come on, let me drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it, and uh, another one, come on, go, uh, get it down, no, no, actually, I've, I've had enough now, I've had enough, um, I'm going dancing, no, get it down, you go on, oh, be a monster, oh. um, no, 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 you know, I've had enough to drink, uh, I'm just going dancing, uh, what's going on? You're not, you know, it's not, you're not the old Carol. And she was able to say to her drunkard friends, no one they took in, but she was able to say, yeah, that's right, actually, I'm not the old Carol. I have, I've changed. Uh, because I don't feel the need just to run with, you know, your pressure. I'm here to have a good time, but without regrets. And I can do that now. Because actually I am, I am different. I have a better time now. Drink it, drink it. Um, but yeah, that's true. It's true. There's a before you become a Christian and there's volume two. When you've changed. That's what Paul is saying. And how has this changed happened? Verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, well what's happened? You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Okay. Literally, you, from the heart, uh, obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. What is that teaching? Well, it's what Paul has been saying, that you are united to Jesus Christ for your righteousness and for holiness. It's a passive thing. You were entrusted to the teaching of grace. God says, when you become a Christian, I entrust you, I give you over to this teaching of grace, which means that you desire to obey from the heart. Let me put it this way. Uh, we got some friends who, um, uh, three or four years ago, uh, adopted a little boy, age four. Uh, this boy had been taken out of an abusive home. Mostly that was verbal, uh, shouting and anger, but on occasion... Uh, violent and physically uh, abusive. Be taken out of that home and put into uh, the family with my friends. Now, he'd got used to a certain pattern, a way of relating, which meant that um, any sudden movements towards him scared him. So you might just sort of run across, you know, to, to pick up a little kid, he's on the swing, Whee! if you ever ran over to him, he'd, he'd wince. 
and cower because he would fear getting hit. If there was ever raised voices in the home, he'd cry. So for my friends, except, you know, just occasionally, apparently within a marriage, you get a sort of debate goes on in a car, apparently, you know, this way, I told you I should have gone that way. And it's just, you know, you're not, not, not plate throwing or anything. It's just irritation with one another. But if voices got raised, he'd burst into tears because he was just expecting this nastiness to come towards him. Miserable. He'd been taken out of one family, but he, because he was entrusted to the new family, my friends, slowly they taught him that actually their words were kind. That when they ran to him, it was to cuddle him, not to hit him. That even though they got irritated sometimes with one another, they weren't angry with him. And so they taught him. He was taken out of one family and by the state, the social service, entrusted to another family whose teaching meant that he wanted to obey them. So now, what he says, almost eight years old. Now, of course, he's like anyone, any eight-year-old kids. Right, come on, it's time, you know, turn off the, uh, turn off the PlayStation. It's time to go to the park. Every eight-year-old don't want to. Um, want to watch PlayStation. Don't watch PlayStation, do you? Want to play PlayStation. Um, uh, but, I, you know, of course, what happens? He thinks to himself, that's what I want to do. But actually, at a deeper level, I, this is a family that love me and have shown me love, I, I want to obey them. Even though I'd kind of like to do my selfish thing. So I'm not going to do my selfish thing, I'm going to obey them because I love them. And you see, now he, he obeys, not because he fears, or not because he fears what the adults might do to him, but he obeys because he fears upsetting the adults. Do you see the difference? He's not scared of them, but he's scared of letting them down, disappointing them. He's been entrusted to a lovely home. And it's enabled him to obey from the heart. He's completely retooled, redesigned in his thinking by being in a new family. And Paul says, look, that's what happens. The gospel of grace changes you. Not that you are willingly coerced against your will, but that your heart has been captured by this teaching. So look, it's a bit of a tangent, but you do know, don't you, that there is, in the Christian life, there is a a wrong form of gratitude and a right form of gratitude to Christ. The wrong form is debt. So it gives a bit like this. Uh, Yeah, I've sung those songs this evening, and Jesus has died for me, so I don't really want to obey him. I'd like to do my own thing, but I owe him, I guess. So I'll do what Jesus says because I owe him. That's That's a thankfulness of debt. That is not what the Christian life is meant to look like. By contrast, positively, a thankfulness of delight is what it's meant to be. Jesus died for me. That's wonderful. He's a kind master. I, I want to serve one like him. I, I, I want to give him everything. Not because I owe him, not because I've got to buy my way out of debt, just because he's great. I want to live for him. So the wrong, the wrong form of gratitude kind of knows truths about Christ, but doesn't really know him as a loving Lord, a loving master. So if you find yourself thinking, well, maybe I got that wrong. Actually, when I obey Jesus, more often than not, it is, don't want to, but probably ought to. If it's more that sort of thing in your heart, well, Paul would say, well, you need to again re 
you need to go back to that teaching that God has entrusted. You need more of the teaching of grace that will help you obey wholeheartedly from the heart. Offer yourselves as willing slaves. The power to change your heart is the teaching of grace. Briefly then, the outcome. Third, they say, offer yourselves as willing slaves because the outcome is eternal life. 20 to 23. Paul sets out then, verse 22, forms of slavery with clarity. You can be a slave uh, to sin or a slave to God. So verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Of course. So the non-Christian world, or if you're here, you might even think this yourself. I don't want to follow God. I want to be free. But what does that produce, verse 21? What benefits did you reap at that time? Well, you're ashamed of how you lived in volume, in volume one. And the, the ultimate consequence, verse 21, end of, is death. Brilliant. Sin is a master who lies. Sin is a master who offers, oh, you'll be free, it'll be great, but lies. I don't know how many of you will know this man. People know him, people know who he is. He's the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Now, you, you know, it's a long time ago, it was 1968, 1968 he came out in all its glorious technicolour, but that's the child, put your hand up if you had nightmares about the child catcher and Chitty, see, I mean, look, that's terrible, isn't it? Disney, whoever made it, have a lot to answer for, that's a lot of traumatic childhoods we had. Anyway, you know the film, uh, the two children, they're, they're, they're Muppets, as children often are, so the, the child catcher comes along. And even though he looks like that, I mean, bloke who looks like that with a nose about a metre long. Hello, stranger danger. Children, don't go with nasty man who looks like that, who sort of comes onto the screen doing his ballet. Don't go with stranger danger. But anyway, on he comes, and uh, in his sort of cackly voice, ice cream, chocolate, lollipops. And uh, even though even though he looks nasty, speaks nasty, he's clearly very odd, the children go, oh, ice cream, chocolate, lollipops. Uh, and so he's got this horse-drawn horse carriage, and uh, they go into the carriage, and all the gaudy colours fall away, and it's a cage, and they're locked up in the cage. And uh, they're taken off to uh, Baron uh, uh, Bomburst, who, do you remember, he's, some, he's, like a ba- he's like a Bond villain, but he doesn't want to take over the world, he just wants the car, he's a slightly sort of B-list um, baddie. But of course, he offers, oh, he's gone, he offers... Chocolate ice cream lollipops, and they oh, yeah, that's what we want. But what he delivers is death, slavery. And that's Paul's point. Don't be deceived, for goodness sake. Sin promises freedom, promises satisfaction, produces shame, produces death. Why would you follow him? Don't romanticize the freedom of sin. He is a bullying slave master. By contrast, verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin, excuse me, but now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. Brilliant. That's what you get if you're enslaved to God. You become more like Christ. And ultimately you're on the path to eternal life. So, verse 19. Offer your bodies in slavery to righteousness 
leading to holiness. Do you notice these paths are progressive? Verse 19. Uh, if you offer yourself to slavery, to impurities, ever increasing wickedness, or you, if you offer yourselves willingly to the Lord, it's increasing holiness. It's a progressive thing. And the ultimate destinations are life or death. Two questions, then we're done. One. Uh, the first question is this. Okay, so I'm a Christian. I do keep on sinning. What does that mean? Uh, Sometimes I know what you're talking about, a a, a desire to obey from the heart. Yeah, I know that, but often I don't. Well, we'll get there uh, when we return to Romans uh, at the end of March, but just flick over to Romans 7, verse 19. Here's Paul talking of his own experience, chapter 7, verse 19. For I do, for what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. If I do what I do not want to do, but it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So if you say, Paul, but Paul, I, I, I don't always do the right thing, I do sin. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. So do I, says Paul. But one mark of being a Christian is you fight. You know the fight. You don't just go with the current, you swim against the current, and it's hard sometimes. You know it's the right thing to do, you don't always get it right. Yeah, yeah, we get there, um, we get to chapter 7. So question 1, I keep sinning, am I still a Christian? Yeah, as long as you're fighting, of course you are. Question 2, how do I speed up this change? How do we go faster in growing in holiness? Well, look. Not by moral effort. It's not that. Not that I need more laws to make me more moral. Not moral effort. Not out of a sense of debt. I owe Jesus. I suppose I ought to grow a bit more godly. No. Not that way. It's not entirely passive. All right, I'm united to Jesus. He makes me holy, so therefore I don't do anything. No. But by contrast, it is knowing who you are as a Christian, and then living it out. You trust what Christ has done, you trust he's given you holiness, and you work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because God is at work within you. Both of those. So we obey from the heart, because you know you've been entrusted to the teaching of grace. You know what Jesus has done for you. And so, yeah, in part, we just need to dwell on that and be delighted with that. Remember that when when Christ says to us, you should be a willing slave of God, he's one who's been a slave for us. So remember Jesus Christ, who Mark 10, came not to be served, but to serve. Remember Jesus Christ, who Philippians 2, took the very nature of a servant as he was humbled to death upon the cross. Remember Jesus Christ who, John 13, served his disciples as a servant, washing their feet. He came as a slave for us. Consider him. Know him. Let him captivate your heart. Know that you've begun volume two. You are not the same as you were. You may not remember the point at which you became a Christian. Not everyone does. But if you're a Christian today, you're a volume two. You are not enslaved to sin. You can live differently. You really can. You really can. You've got to know that and then offer yourselves. 
offer your faculties, offer yourself as a willing sacrifice to God. So you're the student who's been given a first class honours degree in your first year, and you, regardless of what you do. Well, if you adopt this mindset, what does it mean? It means you get up, the alarm goes tomorrow, and you think, well, I can't be bothered to go to my lectures, I can't be bothered to practice my instrument, just can't be bothered. But then you think, but hold on a minute, my master is very wonderful, he's very kind. Actually, living for him is much more satisfying than it is living on my, for myself. He's a great master. He's at work within me. So tempting as it is just to do the rollover, particularly at the moment, it's dark and it's cold. Particularly, you know, when you, t- I'm not going to. I'm not going to. It means, you know, the, uh, the, 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 four, the, uh, the boy who's been adopted, uh, eight years old now, four years of being taught grace in his family. They say, come on, we're going to the park, switch off the PlayStation. He thinks to himself, okay, I know, I know who I, he doesn't, of course, no child does this literally in their head, but uh, I know who I am. I know who my parents are. They love me. I am secure. I am much better off when I am with them than on my own. I know that. It's very wonderful. So I'll do what they say. In truth, I'd rather sit here all day and play on my PlayStation. But I love obeying them even more. Do you see? You both know that God is at work within you. And you work it out. And that's how he says you'll grow. That's how change will come. Offer yourselves as willing slaves of God. He's a very wonderful master. Offer yourselves to him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the honesty, the the honest uh, explanation that the scriptures give us of uh, the Christian life. Thank you that we're not the same. That anyone here who's a Christian lives in volume two with a new status as forgiven, with a new power working within as we're united to Christ by your spirit. And therefore we can live differently, knowing that you're all work within us. Would we work out our salvation? Would we give ourselves, offer ourselves to a godly, holy living, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.